0: Welcome to Sundays with Montrose Bible Church. We're glad you tuned in as Pastor Matt leads us in a study of God's Word. Well, good morning. It's really great to see you all here this morning as we worship the Lord. Two weeks ago, um, I had the opportunity to speak and we began to look at Second Peter. If you'll recall, the letter has a little bit of controversy around it, and it had a difficult time even being accepted into the canon. Um, first of all, the authorship was in question. Uh, many questioned whether Peter actually wrote this letter. Um, some of that had to do with the fact that it is in a different style. Now, I don't think we can appreciate that difference in style because we're looking at a a copy that's translated into another language. But in its original language, there were differences in style in the writing. The second thing that was in question was, who was it written to? Now, there is no clear indication of who it was written to. Now, we do assume, and we've come to the conclusion, that this was written to a, a body of believers, one single church. This is a little bit different than First Peter, which was written to a group of churches. So it has a little bit of a different flavor, perhaps, because of who it was written to. We also can't date it. Um, It's 2 Peter, but we can't assume that 2 Peter means, chronologically, it fell after 1 Peter. In fact, it may very well have preceded it. In 2 Peter, there is a reference to a prior letter, and we also don't want to assume that that was 1 Peter that he's talking about in that referral. But with all that being said, if you open your Bible today, Second Peter is there, and it is the Word of God. It is consistent with everything else in Scripture, and so it is definitely worth our study. So we're going to look at that today. Now, the letter itself is written as a warning. There was, in the first century church, an awful lot of heresy and an awful lot of false teaching. Um... One of the most popular movements was the Gnostic movement. Um, And the Gnostics believed a whole bunch of different things. But one of the things that I found interesting is, is they didn't even believe that the world was created by God. But was actually created by a lesser being. And Jesus was an emissary to give us the knowledge about who this being really was. And it's not necessarily the God of the Bible. And so Gnosticism was running rampant in the first century church. So this is a warning against that. Um, The whole idea of a false teacher would be to come into a body of believers such as this and convince you that what they know is the truth and what you're reading is not, or what you've heard is not, because I've got an instant audience here. Like I said, two weeks ago, if I stood down on the corner of the Gros Ave and yelled out things, I'd have a hard time finding somebody following me. But if I can come into a church and I can persuade you that I know more than what you've heard before, I have an instant audience. And so people were trying to persuade local body of believers and pull them away to follow them. Peter begins this letter, like a lot of other letters begin, uh, with what the apostle believes and what we should believe. And this is pretty common in in letters. A lot of letters begin the same way. Um, But this is one of the clues that tells us that this, this was indeed written to a church. It wasn't a general letter, which other people would have read, because he talks about what the people that he's talking to believe. So we can assume that these are believers that he's talking to. Peter uses comparison when he teaches. Um, he kind of makes it sound like this is, this is what's real. This is what's false. And by looking at the two, you can easily see which one you want to be. So he, a lot of times he'll tell you, um, this is what I want you to believe and this is what will happen if you don't believe it. So he tries to do a comparison most of the time. So he gives us a picture of what our faith is supposed to look like in the beginning of 2 Peter. He talks about comparing our faith, our fruitful walk, to someone who doesn't have that walk. And he begins with the idea of faith. It's the starting point for everything in our Christian walk is faith. This faith leads us to moral excellence. It leads us to looking for the good things that God wants us to do. The place we find that is in the Bible. And so this seeking for this moral goodness gives us knowledge. So now we've grown in knowledge of Scripture. Um, That knowledge then leads us to what's termed by Peter self-control, but really what he means is the idea that we can deny our will and... Turn to God for his will. That's the self-control he's talking about. The idea of setting aside us and taking in Jesus. This whole thing leads to perseverance because now we're walking with Jesus. And as we walk with Jesus, we are going to find that there are going to be things that aren't going to go the way we planned them. Because we're not doing our will anymore. And so there will be trials, there will be tests, and we need to persevere through them. We know that that emboldens us. That makes us stronger. That gives us a better understanding of who Jesus is and who we are. That all leads to godliness. The idea that someone sees you and goes, I can can see that in them. They're a very godly person. And that's not something to brag about. That's just something that someone can notice. You get to that point where your walk is easy for people to see. That leads to kindness to one another, and lastly, it leads to love for each other. Peter says if you exhibit these qualities, then you are on the right path. You are being fruitful, and God can now use you. If you exhibit the other qualities, not so much. In verse 11 of chapter 1, Peter tells us what the result is of having these qualities says, the entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, will be abundantly supplied to you. And that's certainly something we should be striving for. Now, the verse that we're going to start with today, verse 12, um, this one starts with a therefore. And we always talk about therefores. Uh, and what it means is, what we've already seen or heard is now going to be quantified, if you will, for lack of a better word. So because of this, this is something that I need to teach you, or this is something I need to say, or this is some direction we need to go, all because of the things that he's already told us. Um, so let's begin. Let's look at today's scripture, Second Peter chapter 1, verses 12 to 21. Therefore, I will always be ready to remind you of these things even though you already know them, and have been established in the truth which is present with you. I consider it right, as long as I am in this earthly dwelling, to stir you up by way of reminder, knowing that the laying aside of my earthly dwelling is imminent, as also our Lord Jesus Christ has made clear to me. And I will also be diligent that at any time after my departure, you will be able to call these things to mind. For we do not follow cleverly designed devised tales when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. But we were eyewitnesses of his majesty, for when he received honor and glory from God the Father, such an utterance as this was made to him by the majestic glory. This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. And we ourselves heard this utterance made from the heaven when we were with him on the holy mountain. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for your word and, and Lord, for the opportunity to study your word here this morning. May the word spoken here today be your words. May your truth ring clear. May we take these truths, apply them to our lives, that we might grow closer to you and exalt you with our lives. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. So Peter begins with our need to be reminded of these truths, and he explains why. I thought it was interesting when Jamie Uh, did the welcome. He said, to remind you of things. That's very important. The idea of reminding the early church of the faith that would bind them together is not only found in Peter's writings, but it is found in many other places. One example is Philippians. In Philippians chapter 3, verse 1, Paul writes, finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord to write the same things again is no trouble to me, and it is a safeguard to you. Now, Peter begins with a very similar verse in verse 12. He says, therefore, I will always be ready to remind you of these things, even though you already know them and have been established in the truth, which is present with you. Peter is writing a letter as his reminder, just like Paul's. Now, the big advantage of writing a letter was that it was now permanent, meaning that people could share this letter, they could read the letter again at a later time, which was completely different than going somewhere and listening to someone speak. So they were making this reminder permanent by writing this letter. Now, you might say, why do we need to hear it again? Why does someone need to keep telling us these things? Well, the simple answer is we're human, and we need to hear it again and again and again. Think about it this way, baseball players, professional baseball players. You would think that they would know if there are runners in first and second and a ball is hit to the outfielder, the only play that could possibly be made is going to be at home plate, two bases ahead of where the biggest runner is, second base. But you know what? They practice that. If you ask them, where does the ball go? They can tell you, but they still practice it. They practice it so it becomes second nature. So they don't even have to think about it. Wouldn't that be a great way for us to apply scripture to our life as second nature? Without even thinking about it. If you asked me this morning about the music that we were going to play, do you know that song? I know it well, yeah, but if you tried to convince me that it was in a different key, I probably would go, oh, well, maybe it is. And oh, are we supposed to repeat that chorus or not? Well, oh, so you could convince me that I didn't know. And you know, that's what that false teacher is trying to do. So if we aren't reminded all the time about all of these things that Peter's writing about, we are going to fall prey to false teachers and people who are going to be trying to sway us in whatever way they can. So Peter realizes our need to be reminded of these things because they're crucial to our eternal life, just as he shared before this. And they're much more important than baseball or music. We quickly concede that, so I think that we should probably try to apply that to our Christian walk also. We should never tire of such a reminder. Hearing the basics of our Christian faith should make us rejoice to hear them. Now, I'm not a big amener. I kind of amen quietly uh, in my seat. But that amen that I hear somebody say joyously when I say, you know, Jesus died for me, and someone yells, Amen, that's someone who is joyful about that reminder. Of what Jesus did, and that's where we should be. We shouldn't be sitting there going, "Okay, I know that," because we need to be reminded. In verse twelve, Peter uses the word "established." If you look at verse twelve, it says, "And have been established in the truth which is present with you." Now, that word "established" is it's interpreted in different ways. Um, in Luke twenty two thirty two. It is going to be used as strengthen, And so, in order for this whole verse to make sense, we've got to read a little bit before and a little bit after. So, let's look at Luke 22, verses 31 to 34. This is Jesus speaking. Simon, Simon, behold, Satan has demanded permission to sift you like wheat. But I have prayed for you, that your faith may not fail, and you, when once you have turned again, strengthen your brothers." But he said to him, Lord, with you I am ready to go both to prison and to death. And he said, I say to you, Peter, the rooster will not crow today until you have denied three times that you know me. So Jesus is explaining this to Peter, that his faith is going to be tested. Now, Peter thinks he's ready, right? He tells him, I am ready to go both to prison and to death. And... We all know what happens. He denies Jesus three times. Now, Peter does turn back, as is talked to about here. And this scripture and what happened on Pentecost is an example of Peter turning back and doing what Jesus told him he needed to do. Strengthen your brothers. So this message is Peter following what God told him to do. He's strengthening us by repeating these words to us all the time. In fact, if you look at, uh, I I use athletics as my my examples all the time, a weightlifter. If I'm a weightlifter, I don't go in the weight room one time, lift a bunch of weights, and walk out and go, I'm strong. It doesn't work that way. And our Christian walk doesn't work that way either. We need to be strengthened. And so this reminder, this idea of telling you again and again about all of these events, that is strengthening us. Okay? So Peter uh, is obviously trying to do this, and he's, there's a sense of urgency there. The whole idea that he is telling us now in this letter is important. Why? Why? Well, because of this, if you look at verse 13, he says, I consider it right, as long as I am in this earthly dwelling, to stare you up by way of reminder, knowing that the laying aside of my earthly dwelling is imminent, as also our Lord Jesus Christ has made clear to me. And I will be diligent that at any time after my departure, you will be able to call these things to mind. Peter refers to a, an earthly dwelling. That's another way of talking about your physical body. Um, some translations use the word tent, uh, you know, that temporary structure, just as our bodies are a temporary structure. And we need to see our life here as temporary. It makes the whole idea of giving our life over to Jesus a lot more understandable. Um, our attitude helps us to understand the willingness that Peter had to go to the point of dying for his faith. That doesn't make much sense if we think that our body is going to be with us forever. Peter goes on to say that by laying aside of this tent or body is imminent, and he refers to or or pending or forthcoming, about to happen. Um, He might be recalling the words that Jesus spoke to him that are recorded for us in John Chapter 21:18. Jesus says to him, "Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were younger, you used to gird yourself and walk wherever you wished, but when you grow old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will gird you and bring you where you do not wish to go." Now this conversation follows the crucifixion and resurrection. Um, The disciples had just had breakfast on the edge of a lake with Jesus when he speaks these words. And uh, he asks Peter in this uh, section, do you love me, three times as a, guess what? A reminder of the fact that he denied him three times. This makes Peter's reminder in an attempt to strengthen the believers even more urgent because he knows that, as Jesus has told him, his life is going to come to an end. And he doesn't know exactly when, but he knows it's imminent. It's about to happen. Peter states in verse 15 that when he's gone, this letter will serve as a reminder of these things that are so important. In verse 15, it says, And I will also be diligent that at any time after my departure... You will be able to call these things to mind because they've been written down. So Peter's obviously motivated to share these things with this body of believers. The false teacher is going to want to challenge both the authority of Peter and he's going to want to challenge the things that they're teaching that they were taught by Jesus. And he's going to go after the power and the authority and the majesty of Jesus because that's the whole key to our faith. Look at chapter or verses 16 to 18. Peter's going to defend this. For we did not follow cleverly devised tales when we made known to you the power and the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. But we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For when he received honor and glory from God, the Father, such an utterance as this was made to him by the majestic glory. This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. And we ourselves heard this utterance made from heaven when we were with him on the holy mountain. So here are two examples of when these words were spoken. The first example is when John the Baptist baptizes Peter. And so, Peter's not going to say, okay, we made all this stuff up. These are things that would never happen other than for there to be some kind of God in heaven who is speaking about his son here on earth. You couldn't fake this. There weren't, you know, magicians who could pull off the kind of stunt uh, that we would see. Um, the word that's used for myth in here is Greek word is mythos. That is the word that's used for tales. And Webster describes it this way a traditional story, especially one concerning the early history of a people or explaining some natural or social phenomenon and typically involving supernatural beings or events. Peter wants to differentiate the gospel message that he's presenting, from Greek mythology. And those things that preceded the Romans. These people were very familiar with all of the Greek myths about gods. Now, the false teacher want to paint a picture about Scripture as being myth. So when Peter recalls this baptism of Jesus by John the Baptist, this was an event that was not only witnessed by him and by the other apostles, it was... It was seen by all sorts of people. And the the thing about this is it, it wasn't a miracle of Jesus. Many people had watched Jesus display his control over nature and life and death. But this wasn't Jesus' miracle. No, this was God. This was God's very glory and voice from heaven, evident to the crowd as he... God the Father in heaven testified to the legitimacy of the claims of Jesus and his apostles. Matthew 3, 16 to 17 is our record of this event. After being baptized, Jesus came up immediately from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened, and he saw the Spirit of God descending as a dove and lighting on him. And behold, a voice out of the heaven said, "This is my beloved son, in whom I am well pleased." Now, in addition to that opportunity with, that Peter speaks of, there was another opportunity during the transfiguration when the apostles, three of them, had the opportunity to go up on the mountain and have this very same thing repeated. It's in Luke chapter nine, uh, Mark chapter nine, and in Matthew. Let's look at Matthew 17, 1 to nine. Six days later. Jesus took with him Peter and James and John his brother and led him up on a high mountain by themselves and he was transfigured before them and his face shone like the sun and his garments became as white as light and behold Moses and Elijah appeared to them taking with him talking with him Peter said to Jesus Lord it is good for us to be here if you wish i will make three tabernacles here <laughs> One for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. While he was still speaking, a bright cloud overshadowed them. And behold, a voice out of the cloud said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. When the disciples heard this, they fell face down to the ground and were terrified. And Jesus came to them and touched them and said, Get up and do not be afraid. And lifting up their eyes, they saw no one except Jesus himself, alone. Now, if you were here when we covered this verse in a prior Sunday, um, we talked about how the disciples were learning here that Jesus was superior to Moses, who represents the law, and to Elijah, who represents the prophets. Here in both cases, we see God making the same claim. Jesus is his son. In the latter verse, the words are followed by, listen to him. For Peter... And for us, there can be no doubt about the majesty of Jesus as the Son of God, who shared all the attributes of God the Father. Now, Peter's not done with his defense of these things that he's proclaiming, because there's even more evidence to the legitimacy of the claim that Jesus is the Christ. For many years, the prophets spoke of his coming. There are innumerable details that would point to Jesus in the Old Testament. Peter wants us to know that these prophecies in regard to the Messiah have been fulfilled in the life, the death, the resurrection of Jesus. And we can be sure of this fact. Look at verses 19 to 21. So we have the prophetic word made more sure, to which you do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place, until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. But know this first of all, that no prophecy of scripture is a matter of one's own interpretation, for no prophecy was ever made by an act of human will, but men, moved by the Holy Spirit, spoke from God. Now for the Jew, these prophets may actually have been more powerful evidence than... The miracles that jesus was performing of who he was you have to remember the old testament testimony is probably very assuring to the jewish believer and so perhaps this letter was written to jewish believers but even if it wasn't what how do the old testament prophecies assure our faith well first and foremost the old testament is the word of god The references to the Messiah have the same authority for us as does the New Testament. And we too must see Jesus as the fulfillment of the Old Testament prophecies. For without the truth of scripture, Jesus is no longer creator and his eternal nature is not revealed. So we need all of these prophecies. There was a professor named Peter Stoner. He was a Christian writer, and uh, he was a science person, math and science person. In fact, he was chairman of the math and astronomy departments at Pasadena College. And he set out to try to calculate the possibilities that a person could meet the requirements for the Messiah that would be created by these prophecies. Now, I looked around and found that the number of prophecies that I that were in the Old Testament, probably were somewhere in the neighborhood of 322 references to Jesus. So he started with eight small prime requirements that someone would have to meet in order to be the Messiah that's spoken of in the Old Testament. His math led him to an astounding number. This is eight requirements. Let's put that number up. The chance of a person meeting eight of those requirements, according to his math, is 1 in 100 quadrillion. I don't even know how long it would take you to count to a quadrillion. You might not get there in your lifetime. It's a huge, huge number. And he didn't stop there. He went on, and he got to 48 of the prophecies. In order to meet 48 of the prophecies, this would have been a number that had, instead of 17 zeros, would have had... Hundred and fifty-seven zeros behind it. I didn't have the. I didn't want to make Liz put up one hundred and fifty-seven zeros on the screen for you, but I assume he would have. She would have to use some very small type to do that. So, the whole idea that someone could fake being the Messiah based on all of these prophecies is foolishness. No. The only one that met those requirements, and met all of them, was Jesus. And that means he truly is the Son of God. Now, we need to distinguish here a little bit between convincing someone of their faith, and actually where their faith comes from. Because all of this stuff, all these numbers, and, and all of the stuff that Peter is saying, really isn't the thing that causes us to have faith. In First Peter, chapter one, verses one to four, Peter writes this: To those who reside as aliens, scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, Bithynia, who are chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father by the sanctifying work of the Spirit, to obey Jesus Christ and be sprinkled with His blood. May grace and peace be yours in the fullest measure. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his great mercy has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to obtain an inheritance which is imperishable and undefiled and will not fade away, reserved in heaven for you. So these assurances aren't for someone who's not a believer, trying to convince them to be a believer. These assurances are for us, for the church, to assure us, to remind us. We need faith in order to be assured about our faith. Faith comes first. Peter's intention then in writing in Peter 2, as he states, is he wants to remind us He wants us to keep our eyes on what matters most. Pushing aside the things that don't matter in order to move ahead. In order to attain these qualities that he just talked about in verse 5 through 7. Faith. Moral excellence or goodness. Biblical knowledge. Self-control. The ability to, to accept God's will and not our own. All of these things... that he he tells us about, perseverance, godliness, they are all things that he wants us to get as we move through our Christian walk. And he says that if you aren't there, you're short-sighted. If you aren't on one of these things, working on one of these things, then you are a short-sighted Christian. And we don't want to be that. Now, hopefully, this message has reminded us and assured us of the great gift that our salvation is, and the qualities that we should have as we walk through this this life. When we're confronted with false teaching and heresy, there is plenty of it out there. We're to be reminded of the truths that are shared with us in Scripture, in in this place in particular, and cling tightly to them, so that we can't be influenced by any false teaching. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, just continue to use us. Lord, use your word to remind us of who you are and give us the assurance of the message we have received in it. Make us a a body of believers who have a desire, a need to draw closer to you. Lord, fill us with the joy of knowing you as Savior. Let your spirit work in us convicting us of wrong and urging us to take on the characteristics that your son modeled for us. Lord, we want to exalt you and lift you high here today. In Jesus' name, amen. We trust you were challenged by the word of the Lord and invite you to join us again if you'd like to learn more about our ministry in Montrose or want to connect with Pastor Matt. Come worship with us at 930 every Sunday along Lake Avenue.